men and women. He's still in the business of turning a man and a woman who was serving Satan or serving themselves, turn them and turn them into servants of Jesus Christ. I heard it happen this week over in Starbucks. Two, a couple walks into Starbucks and they meet Kevin and meet Ez and meet Jeff. They walked into Starbucks for a cup of coffee and they left with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Going in for coffee and, 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 a, and a sandwich and coming out with eternal life. Speak to those men. I think Kevin's here and Ez is here. They will tell you the story. Because Jesus is in the business. God is in the business of stopping you. Wherever you might be, whatever you might be doing, he's in the business of stopping you and waking you up and saying, you need to understand the gospel. But someone may tell us, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not serving any kingdom. I'm not in the devil's kingdom, someone will say. I'm looking out for number one. I'm looking out for me. I'm, looking out for, I'm, I'm only interested in my kingdom, they will say. I'm not serving the devil's kingdom, and I'm not serving God's kingdom. I'm serving my kingdom. Leave me alone. In that case, my dear friend, if that's you, then you actually are serving in Satan's kingdom. But there's only two. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's no in-between. And look what John says in one of his letters. He says, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You're either in a child of God or you're under the control of the evil one. And I want to tell you this morning, the gospel, Jesus, is all about stopping men and women and bringing them out from that kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of the son he loves. Praise be to God. That's the first thing I want to say about Romans chapter 1, verse 1. But the second thing I want to say about this, the second thing I want to say, go back to Romans 1. Look what it says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You know, I personally believe, this is my own personal belief, I believe that if this book wasn't called Romans, it would be given another title. The title that it would have been given, if it wasn't given the title Romans, I believe, it would be given the title, The Gospel of God. Because this is the theme of the whole book. This is the thrust of Paul's work. The Gospel of God. That's why this book is so important. That's why if you were on a desert island, you would want this book than any other book. Because this book is the gospel of God. It's not the gospel according to Matthew. It's not the gospel according to Luke. It's not the gospel according to John. It is the gospel according to God. God speaks. That's what it means. The gospel is God speaking. His words, his truth. That's why this book is so beautiful. That's why this book is so wonderful. Because it is God's gospel. God's good news. God who speaks. Every time you turn on the TV, turn on the radio, pick up a newspaper, aren't you sick that it's always bad news? 
All the time. One reporter turned around and said, you know, I'm so glad that Donald Trump is in the White House because he delivers bad news all the time. That's why he's so good for business. Bad news. All the time. In our media. Where's the good news? Where's the uplifting news? There's none, it seems. But if you come and turn to God, come aside and turn to what God has got to say, God turns around and he says this, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, I want to tell you some good news, says God. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come, says God, let us reason together. I want to talk about your sin. Though your sin be as red as crimson, they shall be as white as wool. Come, says God. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I have good news, says the Lord. Come and talk to me. Come and reason with me. I have stuff to give to you, to cleanse you, to wash you, to make you new. Come, I have good news. Praise be to God. He is the God of good news. And that's what the gospel of God means. The good news of God. Some of you have bad news in your lives. Broken relationships. Financial problems. Children difficulties. On top of that, you're dealing with guilt and shame. Things in your past, in your life, you don't want to think about, you don't want to consider because it fills you with shame and guilt. Even the past week, something you said or done, you're not happy with, you're not completely proud of, and and you're here today, and guilt is in your heart, and shame is in your life. The Lord says, come, come. I will wipe it completely out. Come to me. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. It is the gospel of God. That's why I believe Romans is so important. As we go through this book, you will see how wonderful this gospel of God is. Let's go on to the third thing I want to say about this book. But Paul wants you to know something about this gospel of God from the outset. He wants you to know that this gospel of God is not new. You know, I have often come across Christians who say to me, I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm a New Testament man. I only read the New Testament because that's me. I love the New Testament. The Old Testament, well, that's the Old Covenant. The Old Testament, well, you know, I can't understand it. It's full of long words. I don't read the old book. I read the New Testament. I'm a New Testament man. And you hear churches title themselves New Testament Church of God. And there they are, rejoicing that they're New Testament. Well, Paul has something to say about that. He turns around and says, you know this gospel? It's not new. Look what he says. The gospel, verse 2, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel, this is very important, you see. This gospel, he promised 
beforehand. How? Through his prophets. Where? In the Holy Scripture. Now, why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because in the Roman world, there was lots of new ideas. Over in Acts, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds a little bit modern, doesn't it? We all like new ideas. You know, when, you know, when, 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 when Apple brings up a phone, you know, it, it brings up a phone or, or, or some kind of device with, 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 with trumpets and with stage lights and everybody likes a new idea. We live in a world of new ideas. But the gospel is not new. Paul turns around and says right from the beginning, this gospel is old. You know, the people who he's writing to did not have the New Testament. They did not have Romans. They did not have Corinthians. They did not have Ephesians. They had nothing in the New Testament. They had to rely on the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is, this gospel that I am proclaiming to you is not new, it is old. And in Romans, you will hear him turn around and say to you, do you see Adam? Adam, that man, the first man that was created. Adam, do you see him? He brought sin into the world. And you see Jesus, Paul was saying in Romans, Jesus, that one man, he brings righteousness into the world. The gospel is not new. My dear friends, let me tell you this. In the Old Testament, there's 353 prophecies concerning Jesus. 353 times Someone said in the Old Testament about what Jesus will do when he comes. Why is that incredible? Why is that meaningful? Why is that important? Well, to anyone who's a serious thinker, and I'm hoping I've got some serious people here who like to think. If anyone's a serious thinker, then they cannot dismiss with ease what was said about Jesus before he was born. If you were a serious man, a serious woman who liked to think, don't like to leave your, your brain at the door, but bring your brain into church with you. You can do that when you're watching TV. X Factor or something crazy and stupid like that. Don't need your brain. But come here, bring your brain with you while you come to church. Why? Because if you're a serious thinker, then you, will, you cannot dismiss what was said about Jesus before he was even born. The gospel of God is a gospel of truth. God is not a man that he should lie. God speaks the truth. And when God speaks the truth, then we need to listen to him. And God speaks the truth about you. Look what he says in Isaiah. He says this. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. Sweep over you. 
when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What does God say? God says, listen, when you go, when you go through the storm, when you go through hardships, when the waters seem that they're going to overflow in your life, when you've passed through the fiery flame of problems and trouble and trial and temptation, what does God say? God says, do not fear. I will hold your hand. I will be with you. I will take you through, says the Lord. He's not a liar. God speaks the truth. And as Kim and I have gone through this last two years, we want to testify to you this morning. God carried us. We want to testify to you this morning that through the fire, through the storm, God is not a liar. He carries. He is not a liar. That's why the gospel of God is so important. It speaks about what takes place before it even happens. It was prophesied, it was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures by the prophets. They spoke about Jesus, the one who was to come. He hasn't come yet, but they spoke about him. And when we look back, we see that their prophecies were accurate and correct and without fault. The gospel of God. Let me move to my fourth point. There's two more things to say about this verse. It's the first, fourth thing I want to say. Well, you may t- ask me, what is the, the biggest proof of this gospel? You've been telling me about these prophecies. And it looks really wonderful, of course. I, I can see how important they are. But what power has this gospel got? I've heard the argument from people who say, there's many roads to God. All of them lead to one place. If you want, you can choose Hinduism. Or maybe try Islam. Or try Sikhism. You don't like that? Well, try yoga. Or meditation. All of these things, you know, they're all valuable. And and they all give you a sense of self-worth. And eventually, they all lead to God. They're all the same. My dear friends, I will say to you this morning, you couldn't be more wrong. Christianity is different in many ways, but it's different in one way particular. It is different because something was being announced. Look what Paul says in our reading regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Declared to be the son of God with what? With power. How was that power shown? It was shown by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how it was shown. That's why Christianity is so different from all this other man-made faith. Here we have Paul declaring something. There was something announced. What was announced? The power of God through Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. 
the resurrection. You know, many people have tried to disprove the resurrection. There's a man called Frank Morrison. He was a legal man. Worked in law. And Frank Morrison decided to, in 1930, roughly, he said, you know what, this resurrection's been around too long. I'm going to disprove it. I'm a legal man, not a legal mind. I'm going to disprove this resurrection. So he set out to disprove the resurrection. And when he started working on it, he writes his book because he finally believed that resurrection was true. And he writes his book, Who Moved the Stone? A few years later, in 1976, a man called Josh McDowell he said, I'm a skeptic. This Frank Morrison, his book, Who Moved the Stone, a lot of rubbish. I'm a skeptic. I know what I'm, I believe, and I certainly don't believe this resurrection business. I'm going to set out to prove once and for all that this Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So he wrote his book. And as he began to write his book, he comes out with a conclusion that Jesus Christ Raised from the dead. And his second book, his book was called More Than a Carpenter. More Than a Carpenter. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. Well, he didn't stop there in 1998. A man called Strobel. He said, you know what? That lawyer can't be trusted. can't trust lawyers anyway. That Frank Morrison. Forget about it. Skeptics. Skeptics are a waste of space. I'm a journalist, he says. And I like to investigate everything from scratch. And I'm going to investigate this whole business about the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to prove once and for all that this resurrection that took place 2,000 years ago was a hoax. And so he set out to prove that Jesus did not raise from the dead. His book was called... Thank you. <laughs> the Case for Christ. I did have it in my head there. The case for Christ. Because he was convinced at the end of his book that Jesus Christ did not stay in a tomb but was raised to life. Now this verse here, Paul is not interested in giving those three men an answer. He's not giving them an apologetic answer. He's not trying to convince them. No, Paul is making a statement. He's saying something that he is convinced of. He's saying something that he's sure of. He's not saying, I'm trying to make you believe this. No, no, no. He's declaring something. He's announcing something. He's saying with a loud voice that Jesus Christ was declared with power to be the Son of God. How? By his resurrection. That's how. The resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the son of God. Death. Try as death may, it couldn't hold him down. Death tried to bound him and hold him in the grave. But because he was the author of life, because he was the creator of life, death couldn't hold him. And the tomb was opened up and Christ was raised from the dead. 
Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul turns around and says that this gospel is about him. He's raised from the dead. Now you can go with those three men. You can go with Frank Morrison. You can go with Josh McDowell. You can go with um, Strobel and, and try to discover it for yourself. Or you can believe God. Either one will come to the same conclusion. Christ was raised from the dead. My final point this morning. Thank you for your patience. My final point this morning, point, point five. I need to ask the question, why is this gospel good news? Jerry, you said a lot this morning. You spoke to me about the different things that happened in Paul's life. You said a lot this morning. Why is this gospel good news? First is this. Because you are loved by God. You are loved by God. Look what it says. To all in Rome who are loved by God. That's why it's so important. This gospel, first and foremost, is about God's love for you. Some of you men sitting in the back there say, well, you know what, I don't need love. I've got my beard and my bald head. I don't need love. Yes, you do. Some of you women are sitting here saying, I don't need love. I've been disappointed by love. I want to tell you, this love never disappoints. This love is completely and totally pure, undefiled and holy. Here is love. Vast as an ocean. Here is love. Deep as a deeper sea. The children used to sing, the love of God is so wonderful, so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. That is the love of God. That's why it's good news. Because God loves you. And he loves you even while you were out in the world. Even when you wasn't a Christian. And even those in the marketplaces and in the high street, guess what? God loves them too. Loves them with the same passion. Same desire as he loves you. That's why the gospel of God is good news. Because God loves you. Second reason why the gospel of God is good news is because you belong to Christ. The gospel has purchasing power. It has purchasing power to buy a man, to buy a woman, to buy a soul. Now listen, as I close, you really need to understand this. I said it already. Everyone belongs to Satan. Everyone is in his kingdom. Everyone's in the darkness. Paul was saying, Romans, you're sold as a slave to sin. 
sold as a slave to sin. But because of the gospel, because you are loved by God, he is able to purchase you. So you might be able to belong, not to another, but to belong to him. Belonging is a huge concept. I was walking in the park this morning, I went for prayer, and as I was walking in the park, I I, I saw a group of drunks all sitting under a bench. Or not sitting under the bench, but sitting around the bench. They probably were sitting under the bench at one point in that night, all with their beers and the lagers in their hand. They're all together. And I thought to them, look at that. They, they, they want to find someone that they can belong to. Even drunks in a park. But then I was walking through a graveyard and I saw a grave. And there was a little stick in the ground with a number. And I thought to myself, That person didn't belong to anybody. Nobody knew that person. That person's in the ground. And there's no name. Just a number. We all want to belong. We all need to belong. And what the gospel of God says is that God purchased you so you might belong to him. Now, I love that because once you belong to him, he has ownership over you. In other words, he has responsibility over you. He has to take care of you. How many of you own your own car? You don't expect someone else to put petrol in it and to wash it and to service it and to tax it. No, it's your responsibility to look after your vehicle and to look after it well. Well, God owns. He's purchased you. And it's God's responsibility to look after you. It's God's responsibility to carry you, to provide for you, to love you, to lead you, to guide you. It's God's responsibility, not yours anymore. No, one man said to me the other day, I'm 50 years old. And I lived my life my own way. And I've made a mess of my life. But now... I'm giving my life to the Lord. And he's beginning to take out the rubbish. And he's beginning to put in something good. 50 years of running my own life. And then he committed suicide. But now God has taken the responsibility. And that's what Paul says here. He says here in this verse in Romans, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As I close, the Apostle Paul was making a mess of his own life. Maybe that's you. But the Apostle Paul was stopped. He was turned around. He became a servant of Jesus Christ. And he was called to belong to God. May I ask you this morning, Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Are you still in that place when you say, well, I'm my own boss, I'm my own man, my own woman, I'll do what I like, thank you very much. Are you still in that place? Or will you this morning declare with the 
disciples in Rome and say, we have been called to belong to the one who was raised from the dead, the Son of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.